Hi, my name is Elizabeth. And I'm Sabrina. And this is the Based Based on Podcast. Hello. Hi again. Long time no see. Oh my god, I know it's been forever. I know that for everyone else it has been a week. But for Sabrina and I... It has been an entirely a potty break. We're really... I'm impressed with us. (laughs) I am very impressed with our ability to uh, keep on chugging. But, yeah. Especially because it took us like a year to get to this point. (laughs) Oh yeah, so for like... I don't know how much we have or have not talked about this, but yeah, we started recording episodes, like our first episode for Jennifer's Body. Started recording that like almost a year, if not more, before we actually shared that episode. Yep. Uh, we were really consistently recording, actually, like for the most part, with a yeah. few breaks here and there. Just Where really... My husband and son decided that they wanted to die. <sighs> yeah. Uh, but just really inconsistent with our timeline of when we wanted to actually pull the trigger and open ourselves up to everyone maybe hating us. It was really just anxiety. Yeah. Full-blown anxiety. So, but here we are. We're not as anxious. It's a little <laughs> too late for us to be anxious. No, I'm still anxious. If you guys have mean things to say about me, please don't. I'll cry. <laughs> anyway, so right off the top. I just want to say I'm so excited about this movie, and that is the only thing that has me really going. I'm doing all good things. It's one of those movies that I had like seen on streaming platforms, like scrolling yeah, it's through like free everywhere. Yeah, and I've been like, oh, I wonder if that's any good. Uh, but I never actually like watched it or even looked into what the movie was about. I'm always skeptical about free movies because normally the free movies are like the meh bad oh, movies. Oh no, I don't even care. It's like not even about that for me. I would just be like, oh, that looks good. I wonder if it's scary and then just keep <laughs> moving on. And so... Don't ask me if it's scary or not. It's not scary. I am an expert in what is and is not scary because I am a pussy. If you listen to last week's episode, we are all fully aware of what the difference is between <laughs> scary movies and thrillers at this point. What I was, why I'm bringing that up is I wish I had read what this is about because this movie is about the real life story of Robert Durst. This is my favorite true crime story of all time. So you knew about the story before you did yes. the movie. When I found, oh, so I was scrolling looking for a new movie to do and I saw this movie show up as it has done forever scrolled up and or scrolling through looking at movies that are based on true crime or not true crime true stories i have so many movies i want to do and i feel like i was really following a theme so i was like i really need to break this up with a little bit of something different so i was trying to get like some inspiration for genres uh that i hadn't really covered a lot of recently i saw this there and i was like there's no way what what is this movie about and so i finally like clicked on it and read it and i was like are you fucking kidding me this whole time this whole time so is this one of your like favorite everything that happens with robert durst is my favorite okay there's um i'm gonna talk about it but there's like a docuseries on hbo i've watched that thing like three times <laughs> i always feel really awkward saying i love true crimes and like love uh, something that has to do with murder robert durst is such an interesting character to me because i feel like we are this like we're not the same because i'm not a murderer but like how he gets caught is just exactly how i know i would get caught (laughs) and that's why i like him so much and if you know how he gets caught in the end you already know what i'm talking about but if you don't know stay tuned because i'm going to tell you your excitement has me excited oh my god i'm so excited 
I think this is probably one of the first movies I've actually liked of yours. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. You know what? Another thing. This movie has Kristen Dunst in it. I wish she would come back. Okay, I realized when I was... Okay, I'm really going to talk about what this movie is about in just a minute. But whenever I see Kirsten Dunst, I'm like, do I like her? That's how I feel about her in everything I Uh, watch. I don't feel like, oh my God, I love her so much. But I don't not like her. Yeah. Every time I see her in something, I'm like, do I... Do I like Kirsten Dunst? I'm the opposite. Every time I see her in something, I'm like, wow, I f- have forgotten how much I do actually love her. I do like the movies that she's in, so it's not even like I don't like her. I just feel like I walk away from it like, I think I like her. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, she's in some good movies, though. All right. A little bit about the movie itself. What movie are we doing, Elizabeth? All Good Things. Pay attention. Oh, you said it already? Yes, I did. Okay. I was setting you up to start. (laughs) No, it's fine. I appreciate it. We're doing all good things. Just like we do on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. That was cheesy. I hate us. Anyway, this movie was filmed between April and July of 2008 in New York and Connecticut. It was meant to be released in 2009, but got pushed back to 2010, and I don't know the reason, so don't ask. They expected to, like, have everything done and edited in in a year? Yeah, so basically the whole idea was, like, whenever people talked about why it got pushed back, nobody has, like, any direct answer. They're just like, we knew it was going to be a really good film. We just needed to give it more time. I wonder if there was, like, another movie that was probably better that was being released at the same time, So, so they pushed it back. Yeah, but it was released in 2010. It is an American mystery slash crime film. And so it brought in almost $2 million at the box office that worldwide. doesn't seem like a lot of money. Nope. U.S., it was like low, low. They made most of their money internationally. Mm. And it stars Ryan Gosling as David Marks. And as we mentioned, Kirsten Dunst as Katie McCarthy, his wife. Just freaking love her. Yeah. <laughs> the movie is directed by Andrew Jarecki. And he also went on to make the HBO documentary miniseries about Robert Durst that I mentioned earlier. And he made that miniseries in 2015. You don't see that very often. Well, I'll tell you why you see it in this case. Mm. So the miniseries, the mini docuseries is about Robert Durst. So as I said at the beginning, I know about Robert Durst from that miniseries. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I know that we're talking about the movie, but for my notes, I'm also going to be talking about some of the docuseries, which is where I'm getting some of my information as well. What I do know for sure is that Robert Durst really liked the movie All Good Things that is meant to be about him. So like liked it as an entertaining or liked it as he, they did good telling his story? Both, I guess. I don't know, which is so wild to me because when you watch the movie, it is very clear that he is like the murderer in this movie. <laughs> uh, but anyway, just funny that he's like, oh yeah, I love this movie. It was great. But he really liked it. And he liked it so much that he reached out to the director, Andrew Jarecki, about doing an interview slash documentary with him, even though up until this point, he had avoided like all journalists. Well, he was probably like, this does me justice. But it didn't do him justice. I'll tell you, you'll you'll see. Okay. So he basically sat with Jarecki for about 20 hours over a multi-year period for the docuseries. Only 20 hours? Yeah, but like over years okay that just doesn't seem like a lot of time it's like one business week half of a business week. yeah but like they spread it out over time so this docuseries participation is going to come back and to bite durst in the butt in the best way possible later in my story and (laughs) i can't wait to talk about it for those of you who can't see her she's just all grins right now i'm so excited okay so all good things the movie itself has a 35 percent on the tomato meter and a 37 percent audience score we did really low rating movies this week yes or today And I'd have to say, I do agree that the movie itself is not amazing. I don't think it's bad, but Mm -hmm. I don't think it's like 
the best movie of all time. And a lot of critics of the film talk about how Jarecki has like this inability to portray the dark aspects of the film. Like he didn't do a really good job okay. with making it as That's dark so as they feel like it needed to be. This is the my favorite movie that you've covered so far. <laughs> I like I'm just saying what other people are yeah. saying. I feel like I have a hard time with distinguishing how I really feel about the movie itself because kind of like what happened with True Story, the movie you did yeah. last time. I feel like one of the problems with that movie too was it's really hard to distinguish how you feel about the movie because you like the story that the movie is based on. So I feel like that's the case here. If you ask me right now, 10 out of 10. (laughs) But that's only because I can't separate my like interest in the real life story. Well, you're also able to fill in the blanks while you're watching it as well. So if anything were to be missing, your brain already knows it. So I don't know. Who's to say? Sabrina likes this movie. So we all probably should know by now that we all hate it. I love all movies that have (laughs) the worst scores that everybody else hates. It's my superpower. Yeah, there you go. So I pulled the synopsis for this movie off of Google. And here's what it said. Heir to a real estate dynasty, David Marks lives in the shadow of his father, Sanford. He takes a chance at true love when he meets Katie, a woman of modest origin who sees David's real worth as a person, not just his family's wealth. David and Katie marry and plan to build a life together, but their once-loving relationship deteriorates after David gives in to his father's demand that he work for the family business. That's the synopsis. I can tell you that that trends in real life, too, when that happens. I Um, agree. (laughs) Now, we're going to talk about Robert Durst. (laughs) But I will give some trigger warnings, which I always forget to do now. This story is pretty much going to talk about murder obviously, Mm -hmm. body dismemberment, and some talk about suicide. And the suicide talk is like right at the beginning. So just a heads up about that. Can I also say that the guy who plays his father in the movie is very attractive to me for some reason? Oh God, I know that man's name and now I can't think of it. I want to say his name is Frank something. He's like a big name guy too. Oh, is he? Yeah. Franklin Gella. Hell yeah, dude. I'm such a smart person. How does that happen? <laughs> yeah, he was he's not attractive in real life, but in that in the movie, I was like, yeah, I'd you, be your friend. I bet you have a thing that you just won't recognize for little mafia dudes. That would be the worst thing for me, though, because I would just adapt to whatever their vibe is and i would be the worst mafia person i love a mafia man dude robert de niro is i know he's not a mafia person in real life but he always plays them in movies yeah hot what hot. is he again oh my god i love him so much and if you don't fucking figure out who this dude is i always forget it's so frustrating and you always think he's the fucking short dude De- De- from De- it's De- always, yeah okay i do love robert de niro himself is not very attractive to me but his hot. voice no robert de niro is hot Okay, I know he's like 100 years old right now. I'm not talking about Robert De Niro at present day, like 80 something years old. I don't old. feel like he's aged that much, though. No, I mean, you can tell he's older now, but I'm saying I think Robert De Niro is hot even up to Dirty Grandpa time. I watched that movie Dirty Grandpa with Robert De Niro and Zac Efron an embarrassingly large number of times. Oh, I wanted to see that in It's theaters. so good. We should watch it okay. together. I would love to do that. Matt would hate that we're doing that. <laughs> yeah, I fuck. Oh, God. Anyway, we probably should stop. I'm sweating. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Calm down over there. Do you, need me, do you need me to leave the room? If you would. <laughs> I'm going to start this OnlyFans for sure now. I've got ice water. I can toss it on you. Anyway, Matt's going to be so mad. He hates when I talk about Robert De Niro. It's okay. You much. guys have the same nose. It's fine. They do. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, Robert Durst. That's who we're really here to talk about. I'm sorry, Robert De Niro. I still love you. So he was born on April 12th, 1943 in New York City to real estate mogul Seymour Durst. And I love the name Seymour, but only because... <laughs> Feed me, Seymour. No, there's this military base that is local enough to be familiar, not nearby. So stop tracking us. But it's called Seymour Johnson. And it always makes me think of someone saying Seymour Dick. We're adults on this podcast. (laughs) One time when I first heard about that, I'm not from here. And like I said, it's not like local, like right next to us. It's like not close enough to even be a factor. So um, I'm not triangulating us, even though I almost do on every episode. (laughs) But anyway, one time someone told me that they were stationed at that base. And I was like, wait, is that a real place? (laughs) Seymour Johnson. Okay. That's only funny to probably me. We turn every name into a penis something or another. I just think it's like Seymour is such a funny name. Anyway, okay. Seymour Durst is what his dad's name was. And his mom's name was Bernice Herstein. Ooh. Yeah. That's a doozy. Yeah. The Durst organization to which Robert Durst was the heir of had been established in 1915. It wasn't fully formed as an organization until 1927. Like he just, his grandfather started buying properties in 1915. Okay, so is the or- farm thing true? Like the family had the farm that, and then they ended up developing it into? Uh, kind of. I didn't really do a lot of research on what the property used to be first, but okay. I do know that like his paternal grandfather, Joseph Durst, was mm-hmm. a Jewish American who immigrated to New York City in 1902. And like all of these stories where it's like the American dream or whatever. Yeah. He had $3 to his name. He started working as a tailor in New York City where he became a full partner in the in a dress manufacturer in 1912. And then he used his money that he made from the business partnership to buy his first building in 1950. Okay. And that's pretty much it. And then as it goes with like all of these other stupid Americans. I hate when you do that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It makes me, that sound makes me want to vomit so bad. (laughs) Anyway, now I'm going to want to keep doing it all the time. (laughs) No, I just think the whole American dream thing is such shit. But anyway, it's like every other story. Uh, $3 in his pocket. He turned it into a whole, whatever. A loan of $1 million. Basically. And now it's like the fifth most property in whatever. Shut the fuck up. Anyway, that's what happened. They are My $3 don't go that far. That's what I'm saying. How did your three dollars do that? And mine can only take me to McDonald's. I was gonna say I can get a Coke and a large fry, (laughs) maybe on a good day. (sighs) Anyway, they ended up going on to being really successful. So good for them. So Joseph, Joseph is Robert's father. He had five kids. Or wow, back up, start over. I'm getting all these old men's names confused. You're just, you gotta, you need some, you need cold showers. What needs to happen? I need a cold shower. We talked about Robert De Niro way too much. (laughs) Joseph, Robert's grandfather, had five children. Okay. Seymour, which was Robert's father, Mm -hmm. Roy, Alma, Edwin, and David. Is that the order of birth? Yes. Okay. And his wife's name was Rose Friedwald. I don't know why. <laughs> Friedwald? Friedwald, maybe? Oh, I thought you it's said spelled Friedwald. Like, it's literally spelled Friedwald, D- okay. or W-A-L-D, but I'm sure it's Friedwald. I will trust you. So be- the reason I'm telling you this, there is a reason, so is that Seymour, Robert's dad, inherited the business because of the birth order, because he was the oldest male. 
Yeah. Which, sure. Yeah, he inherited it in 1940. Then Seymour went on to marry his wife, Bernice, in 1940 as well. And they would have four children, Robert, Douglas, Tommy, and Wendy. Is that also the birth order? Yes. Okay. So there's really conflicting reports about the kind of family dynamic that existed here. Seymour is often portrayed by Robert as being really overbearing and disinterested in his children, but his second oldest son, Douglas, says that that was not accurate, and he described his father as being, quote, attentive, doting, and concerned about their well-being. Maybe just to so, him, but not the eldest. really knows? Yeah. Well, there was probably a lot more pressure on Robert to, like, take over and stuff if it's going to the eldest male. Yeah. So, I don't know. Obviously, I think all siblings have different experiences within their family dynamic anyway. Oh, yeah. But I, I just wanted to say... and yeah. the boys are my mom's favorite. Yeah. So, I think it's important to just say both. Yeah. Who knows? What I do know is that things were probably not 100% great in that family because in 1950, Bernice decided, or, well, not decided, though technically yes, she died from falling off the roof of the family's three-story home in what was either an accident or suicide, depending on who you ask. If you ask me, which I know no one did, but it doesn't matter, I definitely believe it was a suicide. I was going to say 100% homicide. Not homicide. Hmm. There were too many people there. Oh, okay. um, So according to reports, an employee in the home saw Bernice out on the roof and called the police. And when the police and some firemen got to the house, they spent about 30 minutes trying to get her to come down. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they even tried to send a fireman up a ladder to try and get her. And she just took off running past him and flung herself off the roof. And no one was able to stop her fall. Oh. Yeah. So the police stated that and that the f- was three stories. Mm-hmm. And the, f- the police said that the fall had been an accident and it was later reported that she had overdosed on her asthma medication. However, even later reports discussed that the family members privately acknowledged that the death was in a, a suicide. Hmm. So. So in the docuseries, The Jinx, Robert Durst says that he was there to witness the whole event. Oh, no. He recounts what happened that night and he accuses his dad of bringing him to the window and having him look out and the docuseries even goes so far as to do a reenactment of the night based on like Robert's way that he told the story no thank you yeah so basically what he was saying okay do we know how old he was at the time yeah he was young like I think 10 maybe I don't remember exactly um and I'm not gonna do the math actually I think now that I'm thinking about the math he was too young well yeah he was too young to watch a parent commit okay what I want to say about Robert Durst is he has a very strange voice and I I don't know the way he talks is so funny to me and it's like I'll just I'll just um maybe I'll do an impression we'll see (laughs) but basically he is like this little old man like when he's retelling this in this story and he's like Got this nasally, like, voice thing going on. But he says that he got to the window and he's like, there was mommy. I waved at mommy. I don't know if she saw me. I never went, it never went through my mind. What's she doing out on the roof in her nighty? That's what he Aww. says, like, in the thing. But it's like. So he was, like, little kid. Listen, maybe. We'll see. Um, he says he remembers one of the maids, like, shouting that sh- uh, his mom had fallen. And, like I said, he said he saw the whole thing happen. Yeah. But his brother says that that's not what happened at all. And he said, Douglas says that on the night of his mom's death, that all four children had been woken up when everything was happening and taken over to the neighbor's house for the entire duration of the event. Well, that doesn't mean he couldn't and have seen through the neighbor's window. He says that the entire time, none of them witnessed the death of their mother. Oh, okay. And they were rich, so I don't think that they had window spotting 
closeness in their homes. They lived in a big house. They were wealthy enough. They probably weren't. There were probably trees and stuff like. Oh, I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, like they okay. probably weren't like right on top of each other's houses where yeah. they could just see the whole thing. But anyway, so who knows what Robert really saw. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Let's just also acknowledge that Robert is an unreliable narrator. Okay. And I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that he does kill his wife and other people. So. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get to that. (laughs) So I just want to say that this is also, I want to say that this is going to be a trend between Robert and Douglas. Like Robert's going to say one thing and then Douglas is going to say it was something entirely different. Yeah. Do we know if they had a close relationship? No, they did not. Okay, so, so, I mean, sibling rivalry. <laughs> exactly. How? I was going to say, it's pretty unsurprising that they don't ever really align with one another because there was quite a bit of sibling rivalry that went on between the two. Uh, so much so that, according to one source, they even ended up going to counseling because of it in 1953. Oh, well, at least they went to counseling in 1953. That's yeah. basically unheard of. Yeah. Other sources say that the counseling that was happening was because was more to do with the fact that Robert was seeing a psychiatrist due to him dealing with the struggle of his mother's death. Okay. Yeah. So in reports from the psychiatrists who treated Robert at the time, they reported Robert, who was only 10 at the time of seeing the psychiatrist. So yeah, my guess was right. He was like around eight when his mother passed away. Okay. Showed signs of quote, personality decomposition and possibly even schizophrenia. That early? Yeah. So I don't know. Robert went on to finish high school and he's described by pretty much everyone as having been a loner. He then goes on to get his bachelor's degree in economics in 1965 from Lehigh University, which is in Pennsylvania near Bethlehem. I didn't put that in my notes. I just know it. (laughs) (laughs) But I meant to write it down. You Pennsylvanian. Mm -hmm. If anyone's from Pennsylvania, please send us chips. Oh my God, yes. Middlesworth potato chips. I would die. (laughs) oh they're my favorite thing ever i will make a trip up there just so we can get those trips oh i mean me too you can order them online now they're just so absurdly expensive to like have them shipped to you but it's also like not the same though when you yeah it's not the same we'll just go yeah we'll just go i love them so much they're my favorite chips ever for any pennsylvanians who know what i'm talking about they're so good Specifically Eastern Pennsylvania, I try to talk to some people who I'm friends with who are from Western Pennsylvania who go up there to visit family and ask them to bring me back Middlesworth potato chips, and they had no idea what I was talking about. They really missed out in life, then. Listen, Pennsylvania is like the chip capital of, like, the country. Like, so many different chips are made there. I didn't know that. Yeah, like, tons of different chips are made there. Middlesworth just happens to be the best ones. I will agree with that. Thank you. Okay. So he played on the lacrosse team when he was at the university and was a business manager of the student newspaper there. After finishing at the university, he applied to the doctoral program at UCLA. He never completes this program, though, but I'm mentioning it because it's where he meets his longtime friend, Susan Berman. Do we know what degree he was going for? Mm -mm, I didn't look into it. So Susan was a novelist and author. She wrote two memoirs, one of which was called Easy Street and detailed her life as a mobster's daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, for all intents and you said they were longtime friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. For all intents and purposes, it does seem to be true that her father was in the mafia. So his name was David Berman, and he had been active primarily in Sioux City, Iowa, the Twin Cities, and the Las Vegas Strip. I didn't do a ton of looking into this because it doesn't really matter to the story. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but I do love a good mobster story. So it was it's really... probably entirely a separate movie anyways. Oh, I'm sure. She was his daughter. She got her master's in journalism from the University of California, Berkeley. To control the media from the mobster stuff oh that her family's doing. <laughs> and over time, she had been paid about $4.3 million from the mafia as a result of her father's interests in casinos and other properties. My point proven. Yeah. Who knows? She wasn't part of the mafia. She was just collecting on, like, interest from, like, his investments in them. Okay. Sure. Not part of the mafia. Eh. So she also spent time working for various media outlets in California and later as a contributing writer for magazines in New York. So Robert and Susan met at a pool party where they became fast friends. When Susan got married, Robert even walked her down the aisle. That's so cute. So he says in the docuseries that they were friends until she died in 2000. But we're going to talk more about that a little bit later, so I don't want to spoil it. What's important to know now is that they were best friends for very many years. Robert had never been or he had never had much interest in working in his family's business. And so he moved to Vermont in the early 1970s and opened a small health food store like the one we see in the movie. Okay. Was it called All Good Things? I'm not sure. Okay. And he also meets his future wife, Kathleen McCormick, around this time as well. Kathleen was born on June 15th, 1952, which makes her also a, or sorry, it makes her a Gemini. He was an Aries. Okay. I didn't talk about that. I was saying also a Gemini because I was still thinking about your episode. <laughs> um, are Gemini's and Aries good matches? Mm, I don't know. They are not a good match. That's for sure. <laughs> I have a oh God, damn it! I feel like I talk so bad about zodiac signs on this podcast. <laughs> I don't. I just don't. I can't vibe with Aries very well. So I don't know. I'm biased. I was about to be like, nobody can get along with Aries. But I'm a typical fire sign in where I do not like any other fire sign. Okay. Yeah. Is our Aries fire sign? Yeah. Aries and Sagittarius's. Um, I've had friends that were, so I cannot get along with Aries men most of the time. There's like one Aries guy that I'm not even friends with. He's Matt's friend. But we get along fine yeah. when we see each other. But I've never dated an Aries. I've never been friends with them for like any long span of time except for one girl. We were good friends, but she annoyed me in all the ways that I feel like an Aries would annoy me. <laughs> so like, I don't know. I think it's just like a power struggle between fire signs. I feel like we all can't just get along and like You're not try and suck all the energy out of the room. With each other type of thing. Um, I don't know. Sagittarius women also like have always struggled to get along with them, but I want to like them so much because they're the life of every party. <laughs> want to like them so bad. And I'm sure that there's, I just haven't met the right one. So just know Sagittarius women. I really want to be friends with you <laughs> and I will make it happen one day. I've just had really bad luck with Sagittarius women in the past. <laughs> okay. Not important because Kathleen is a Gemini and that's also not relevant. I just have to talk about it because I cannot help it. So she was the youngest in her family and she didn't come from the same lifestyle as Robert. She worked numerous part-time jobs, both on Long Island and in Manhattan. In the fall of 1971, when she met Robert, she was working as a dental hygienist. How cute. I can picture Kirsten Dunst as a dental hygienist. (laughs) Yeah. I could never be a dental hygienist. Listen, (laughs) I literally have like every intention of making a career out of like doing vaginal checks. Yeah. And like women's health and nothing about that like makes me squeamish or grosses me out. Something about having to dig around in someone's nasty mouth is (laughs) disgusting to me. (laughs) Like I have so much respect for people who work in dentistry because I could never. Yeah. Like never. You think that you have a UTI or a yeast infection? I'll be all up in there and help you out. No problem. Fuck a dirty (laughs) mouth. (laughs) Anyway. 
Good for Kathleen. She was doing things that I could never. Yeah. Anyway, she lived in one of the Durst's buildings on East 52nd Street, and Robert was her landlord. So they met one time when she, like, had gone to drop off her rent truck. Okay. So kind of like if this were any other person, that would be a cute little story. A cute little meet cute. Meet cute. Yeah. After just two dates with Robert, he convinced Kathleen to move to Vermont with him to help him run the health food store that he had started. So he was already, he already had the Mm -hmm. store? Okay. And he, like... Took her out a couple times and then was like, come on, let's go move and work on my, at my store. I would never, I'd be like, I need a, actually, no, I would be dumb and say yes. I was going to, I wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) I was just going to let you run with your idea that like you would never fall victim to that. Uh, But we both know that it's not true. No, that would be like, oh, this is such a cute little fairy tale. And we have this me cute. I'll move with you. I'm actually already packed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But only a short time after they moved there, Robert's father convinces him to move back to New York to work for the family business instead. So the couple returned to live in Manhattan and they got married on April 12th, 1973, which also happens to be his birthday. And I think that is so fucking funny whenever people get married on the husband's birthday, because I always feel like they're doing that so that the husband doesn't forget. Oh, I was going to say that's probably like some egotistical reason like oh it's my birthday the wedding's gonna be all about me too no i feel like so i don't know why i just have this idea that people like will get married on the husband's birthday and like now you can't forget our anniversary oh i don't know i don't know (laughs) matt's parents are born or matt's dad's birthday is july 14th or 15th or something like that and then the very next day is their anniversary and i think because they joke about it i don't think that that's serious by the way but like they make that joke all the time that like i feel like it's just stuck in my head now that that's like what people do i don't know rupert in his mind our anniversary is just whatever saturday after thanksgiving and it just moves from year to year depending on the date (laughs) that's that's not not how anniversaries work oh well what do you do matt's really good about our anniversary i'm actually the worst one in our relationship about remembering stuff like that i'm good about our anniversary but i have no idea how long we've been together also true about me i think we're, we've been together 100 years every time i'm like oh no we've just been together for like four years and rupert's like no it's been 10 and i'm like that's disgusting gross <laughs> matt and i have been together for like six or seven years i don't know so gross so gross anyway we're gonna get a divorce soon so it'll be fine <laughs> I joke around with him all the time about how, like, I, we're going to get a divorce. I can't see myself living, like, being with someone for, like, my whole life. That's crazy. Yeah. Matt and I are, are I'm not staying with him longer than 30 years. That's <laughs> disgusting. And I would never. One of the people that I tell this joke to is not in on the joke. And I think it irritates him so badly how I talk shit about Matt. I just, like, really minimize Matt and I's relationship and, like, talk about how I'm going to divorce him. And I'm only with him for his money. And, like, all this stuff that is, like, not true for anybody who actually knows us. Yeah. It's just a but bit. I think it like really gets under his skin with how i talk about him anyway so i do it more because that's my <laughs> that's my like love language reactions out of people <laughs> my love language is oh that annoys you i will keep doing it don't worry that's why we're not bully best friends we're fighting best friends <laughs> as people have probably figured out from this podcast oh that was annoying i was just gonna keep doing it <laughs> okay so they traveled all over the like all around the world after they got married and would regularly party, attend prestigious social events, and just mingle with all the other affluential people in the city. This was after they moved back? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there were plenty of people who believed that the couple was a perfect match, but there were others, like Kathleen's best friend, Gilberta Najemi, who didn't really understand what she saw in him. 
And I feel like that's every best friend. Yeah. So. Well, it was like a whirlwind romance. Like, they yeah. went on a couple of dates. He swept her off her feet. They moved to Vermont and have this cute little store. Yeah, I would fall victim to this 100%. 100%. <laughs> okay, so Gil- Gilberta's vibes were pretty much spot on because the couple was not at all the perfect couple that people wanted to see them as. Kathleen's brother, Jim McCormick, recounts the first time he witnessed the physical abuse that was occurring in his sister's marriage. He says that at some point he saw Robert walk over pull her by the top of her hair and yank her out of a party. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. I'm not sure exactly what took place uh, because everybody just kind of talks about it being like, at a party, he picked her up and, like, ganged her up by her hair. Uh, but I don't know, like, what the party was for or anything like that. They That's do the so scene disgusting. in the movie, too. Yeah, it's so disgusting how, like, casual Yeah, it's mm-hmm. made out to be. Like, that. It's Well, it's because it's happening all the time. And it's not okay. Yeah. Uh, but he says, but her brother Jim does say, like, he remembers their grandmother's eyes, like, getting as big as pizza pies. And I kept that because I thought it was a funny, Eyes like, as pizza pies. Yeah. <laughs> Kathleen, he said Kathleen just, like, grabbed her coat. Why did I say coat like that? Well, uh, that Kathleen just grabbed her coat and told her brother that everything was going to be okay before they left. Let me just grab left. my coat so we can go coat. get boggles. <laughs> it's like a Minnesota accent. <laughs> Later on, Kathleen's family would read horrific journal entries where she detailed more abuse that she suffered at Robert's hand. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. In 1976, Kathleen found out that she was pregnant. And while she was very excited about the idea of having a baby, Robert was not. So he forced Kathleen to get an abortion, and according to her journal, the day of the procedure, Robert threw water on her head. Other journal entries detailed how she had been slapped and punched by Robert on multiple occasions throughout their marriage. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. Yeah. So there was another incident. Sorry. I just can't get over the fact that she was forced to get an abortion. Yeah. I I hate that for her, dude. I'm glad that, like, another... Like, this man doesn't have a child. Yeah. But, like, I do hate that she Because that was, was her child, not... Exactly. That yeah. wasn't his child. Yeah, it's just... It's really horrible. I mean, like, the whole thing, everything's horrible about that whole relationship. Yeah. I don't really talk about this in my notes because I didn't want to take away from, like, the tragedy of Kathleen that I'm going to discuss going forward. But, like, obviously their relationship is not good. And she is doing drugs and stuff like that, like they see, in, okay. like we see in the movie. She's a victim of abuse through and through, so I'm not... I only saying that because it's like there's all kinds of things that were happening in that relationship it was and a she multi-level was just like COVID. type thing yes there was another incident in which a couple that lived in the same manhattan apartment as kathleen and robert claimed that there was a night much like what we see in the movie where kathleen had climbed onto their balcony and was pounding on their window to let her inside because she had been beaten by robert so badly and he had a gun that she was afraid he was going to shoot her with i could not imagine yeah it's so scary. Obviously, her family and friends would like plead with her to leave the marriage and report Robert for his abuse, but she would tell them that she was too afraid to leave. By this point, everyone is familiar with Robert's violent streaks within their like family and yeah. friend circle, and that not only was he taking them out on Kathleen, but he was also taking them out on other people around them. Like he was being abusive to other people around them as mm-hmm. well. Like one time, there was like this incident where he and like the couple, Kathleen and. Robert and some of their other friends like go out to the clubs or whatever and they're dancing and then they decide that they're going to leave and go somewhere else. Yeah. And they take two separate cat like they take two different cars or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Kathleen ends up riding with this guy named Peter and they end up their car ends up showing later than everybody else's like they show up later than everybody else. And Robert beats up Peter to the point where he breaks a bone in his face because he thought that something was going on yeah. between them and that's why they were later. He just like doesn't give a shit. <laughs> this guy's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, Robert went is on. Is it just because, oh, sorry. like sorry is it just because he like has 
the money, he thinks he can go on all these power trips. I mean, I think that because he has money, he can go on whatever power trips he wants to go on. That's fair. With, like, very little consequence. Because just pays everybody off. Yeah. So, Robert started seeing other women, and Kathleen also started to stray away from their marriage as well. But Kathleen was still really scared to leave, so she stayed. Yeah. Another reason was because there was a very tight prenuptial agreement that she was serious about fighting against. And she ended up actually getting a lawyer to try and help her figure out what she could do to get out of it. Do we know the elements of the prenup? Mm -mm. Okay. No, this is already... I already knew that there was... There's so much to talk about in this story. So, I will tell you straight ahead that, like, little questions i might not have the answer that's to, fine. but i really wanted to tell the full story all the <laughs> way through without missing any of like the really the big, big details yeah so there is a scene in the movie where robert is seen seeing that therapist mm-hmm. that's having him scream yeah in the house that really happened robert hired someone called a primal scream therapist and so primal okay so that's used a lot you remember um those camp things that pierre Shelton was talking about mm-hmm. okay so apparently primal screaming is like one of their biggest like therapy tools that they use at those camps yeah well robert had one and he would scream to unlock any suppressed pain and anger and he would do this with the therapist and then he eventually started getting to the point where he would just start growling no, thank you. Uh, like an animal. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. But ultimately, Kathleen remained in the marriage, and she like would urge her friends to make sure that if anything ever happened to her, they knew it was Robert who did it, and to not let him get away with it. So she started giving those like really ominous warnings of, yeah. like, if anything happens to me... I wonder if that's why she started like keeping detailed journals, too. Maybe. Yeah, so because she wasn't leaving, she... I don't know. I know that there's, like, a tendency to be, like, oh, wow. It's just, like, she didn't have the money before, so, like, just go, like, whatever. Right. Start over. But, but she's grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle well, as and well. Even, even beyond that, like, she was struggling before. She, it's just really hard to leave. Yeah. And, like, I think that's all that really matters well, in this scenario. she's also addicted to drugs at this point, and she probably won't have the money to be able to afford her drug habits after. Yeah. There's just a lot that goes on that, like, I feel like helps get in the way of people leaving abusive situations. Well, like, the mental manipulation as well. Like, she's yeah. probably mentally beaten down, not just physically. Yeah. I'm going to continue, like, to talk about things that happened. I just want to be, like, really clear that this is not, oh, she was just staying for the money or she was just staying for this. Like, I don't hold any of those opinions. I right. fully recognize that, like, she was a victim of abuse and how difficult it is to leave those scenarios right so because we see she, that in any wealth class anyways uh, yeah exactly she like i said she did remain in the marriage but she did start going ahead and pursuing some of her own dreams she enrolled in nursing school and then was later accepted into a medical school or sorry accepted into medical school at the albert einstein college of medicine in the bronx okay there she was studying to be a pediatrician robert was not at all happy with her career choices of course because she's gaining like some level of independence by doing this and she's going into a career that will actually pay her yeah so he just really wanted her to stay home instead and okay because of all the kids that he allowed her to have <laughs> yeah well he just doesn't want her to have anybody outside yeah. like isolating her so the more independence that Kathleen gained, the angrier Robert would get. Yeah, sadly, she would go missing just a few months shy of earning her medical degree, which mm. is very unfortunate. She worked so hard to be able to do that and yeah. didn't even get to enjoy any of it. Mm-hmm. All right, now we're getting to Kathleen's disappearance. On the evening of January 31st, 1982, which was a Sunday, Kathleen showed up unexpectedly to a dinner party that was being held by Gilberta, her best friend. Mm-hmm. 
at her home in Newton, Connecticut. When Gilberta opened the door, her friend was visibly upset and wearing red sweatpants, which was odd to Gilberta because Kathleen never dressed casually like this in public. So the opposite of us. Yeah, I was going to say, I literally say, which I can't relate to. <laughs> yeah, I there would be a problem if you didn't see me out in sweatpants, probably. <laughs> the only uh, time I'm dressing up is for events. Yeah, no, I, you would never know something was wrong with me if you're basing it on my clothing. <laughs> but yeah, apparently Kathleen never dressed down. She always was like really nice and put together and she looked like She's probably forced to be anyways. I don't know. So at some point in the evening, Kathleen gets a call from Robert and she leaves the party to go to their home in South Salem, New York, which is like the lake house thing that we see in the movie. Okay. Gilberta and Kathleen make plans to go see each other the very next day, okay. which would be February 1st at a place called, at a pub called Lionsgate in Man, that was in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. The next day on the 1st, when they had those plans, Gilberta does go to the pub okay. and she's waiting there for like over an hour and a half, but is hearing zero things from Kathleen. She's trying to call all of the houses that Kathleen and Robert have and no one's getting back to her. No one's responding to her. No one has seen or heard from Kathleen since she left the party okay it isn't actually until thursday oh and mind you gilberta has tried getting a hold of robert and he's also not answering her and he has said nothing to her either oh yeah so that happened on they the whole party that gilberta had happened on sunday okay on mondays when her and kathleen were supposed to meet at the pub and she doesn't show up right she's trying for multiple days to get in touch with kathleen and cannot it isn't until thursday that robert goes to report his wife's disappearance <laughs> Okay. Okay. So he goes to the 20th precinct in Manhattan with his dog, Igor, and says that he wants to file a missing person's report. He meets with Detective Michael Strzok, and Officer Strzok is like, this is pretty fucking weird that you waited all the way until Thursday to report. Especially when they have, like, all the phone records and stuff of her friend calling her. Yeah, but even besides that, it's like, he's saying, like, oh, she went, like, I haven't heard from my wife since Sunday. He's like, okay, but it's Thursday, bro. yeah. So anyway, so Detective Strzok is like okay weird robert's a little sus just a little but he did say that he noted noticed that robert was super calm and really rational and provided um what he believed to be a reasonable explanation for why kathleen would, would not be able to so be he had a, needed a few days to rehearse as well i guess so <laughs> but basically robert told detective struck that kathleen would usually spend two or three days straight in clinical training for school and on those days she would sleep in the dorms or at the hospital so it was totally normal for her to not call for a few but days. she was graduated at this point right no, she hadn't graduated oh yet. okay yeah, she was months away from graduating when she disappeared. Okay. So, okay. How convenient. Well, they don't have cell phones or anything. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible that that story... Whatever, we know the real answer, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> I am not. I don't know why I'm even doing this. I don't buy your story, Robert. Yeah, Robert. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, Robert goes on to talk about what he think, what he claims to have happened on sun- that Sunday night. According to Robert, Kathleen came home from Gilberta's party and drank a bottle of wine. They argued, and after that, he drove Kathleen to a train station in Katona so that she could take the 915 train back to Manhattan. That way, she would be back in the city for school the next day. He claims that he called her later that night and spoke to her while she was in bed at their Manhattan apartment watching television. Okay? Now, Detective Strzok still a little sus about Robert. Yeah, right. And his involvement so. in his wife's disappearance. But these suspicions get a little convoluted as he starts investigating because he found two witnesses at the apartments that say that they saw Kathleen on Monday. Yeah, but like if you see someone in passing, you don't really remember what day yeah. that was unless something significant happened. So it was the building superintendent and the doorman who claimed to have seen Kathleen on that Monday. 
And on that same Monday, a caller who identified themselves as, as Kathleen called in sick to the school. So one of the women that Robert was sleeping with is what I'm hearing. Maybe. Or someone he's been friends with for a long time. Maybe. No. We'll never know until we know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So Robert also added to the mysteriousness of Kathleen's disappearance by making statements to the New York Post where he said, quote, she was going to graduate medical, medical school in three months. That's what makes me sure she's not hanging out at somebody's house. And then Robert also went on to offer a $100,000 reward for his missing wife and hired a private investigator named Jerry Martin to help find Kathleen. Okay, so Detective Stuck, he starts talking a little bit more to the witnesses that say that they had seen Kathleen and their stories kind of fall apart. Well, not like fall apart, but they just like pay off a doorman pretty easily. No, and I don't think it was that. I think like not fall apart. It's just like they aren't as secure as like they initially seemed like. The basically they admitted to like either only seeing Kathleen from behind or like half a block away. Okay, so not like so not like actually directly interacting with her. There was no conversations. Yeah. So and Robert also wasn't able to keep the details of the night in question completely straight either. (laughs) So one time he was like, "Oh yeah, I." called Kathleen from the house in South Salem. But then later he said he called from a payphone. Um, And then the superintendent to the apartment who had said that he saw Kathleen found her belongings in a dumpster only three weeks after Robert reported her missing. Like her apartment belongings? Mm, Like all her things. Casual. Yeah. But she's, you know, who knows what happened. (laughs) Anyway, whatever. It just sucks, dude. But because they didn't have any body and, like, any, like, real solid evidence, nothing was really progressing with doing anything. So Gilberta also has this whole thing that she talks about with how, like, the timeline for Robert's story doesn't add up. And since you like timelines so much. I do love a good timeline. um, I'm going to tell you what she says, why she says it doesn't work, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. Okay. So Gilberta says that Kathleen left her party around 7 to 7.15 that night, which means that she would have arrived at their South Salem home around 8.15 to 8.30. Okay. The train station was 20 minutes from the home, which meant that Kathleen would have had only 40 minutes to argue with Robert, change clothes, gather her belongings, and drink an entire bottle of wine in order to get on the train in time. Right. Because the train was at what? 9.15? Yes. Okay. What do you think about that? <laughs> I don't think any of that happened. And I think she was probably... No, no, no. But I'm saying, what do you think about that timeline? Do you think that that's a feasible timeline or not really? 40 minutes to argue and pack? Yeah. No. Oh, well, okay. Me as an arguer, I am like fully committed to that argument. I'm not doing other things and okay. being distracted. Maybe I could chug a bottle of wine, but it's going to take me a lot longer to pack than it is to drink that wine and argue. Interesting. So I disagree with Gilberta like I think that it doesn't really matter we all know what really happened but yeah. I was saying like based on this timeline alone like she was really seems to be kind of hung up on that timeline not working and I just feel like that it could happen easily in 40 minutes you have Kathleen get home from the party pour her wine it's not that much you know what I mean and who's to say that it was like a full bottle that's fair. but she like pours the wine and then the fight starts while she's doing all that or it starts as soon as she walks in the door she goes and changes clothing while they're still fighting puts all her things that she brought to the house that she needs to take back with her to the city in a bag goes back to the kitchen finishes the rest of her wine that's plenty of here's i'm basing this off of the fact that matt and i have so, like we bicker a lot yeah and 
not like bad fights or anything like what this is what this is so I don't know for sure but I will say I pick arguments with him on a fairly regular basis and there is no we will have an argument where I'm like fully angry and the argument is done and we're laughing and everything is fine within a 40 minute span of time so maybe that's just speaking to my own like mental health and emotional regulation problems but I just don't like obviously we know what happens that's nothing to like hyper fixate on is the 40 minute well, window so, okay so yes that makes sense if they're because obviously they had issues and they're constantly arguing whatever but if you think about it like he's abusive as well yeah. so he's probably getting physical within that argument as well and I don't think 40 minutes is a lot of time for the argument the abuse her calming herself down or becoming frantic enough to just yeah. pack and leave type of thing yeah I mean who knows it doesn't literally does not matter because <laughs> we all know that she dies like she didn't ever yeah. make that train it's just like i don't know i i was reading like a whole article that'll be linked in the show notes that gilbert was like talking about this timeline and i'm just like i don't know man that's like not not enough for me unfortunately but yeah. there's well, so I mean, much more that like rupert and i like whenever we actually we very very rarely argue but whenever we do it's like we sit down and have like full-on conversations and like work through it right yeah. then and there and that for us like takes a long time when i say man i argue i mean i argue to matt like matt <laughs> is so calm and he's so patient and chill and i'm the one that gets like all worked up about something and he's yeah. just like lets me do my thing i'm like the more we talk on this podcast the more i feel like i just sound like i'm a yippie dog <laughs> i'm boomy <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. I mean, every relationship's different as well. Yeah. Like, you're basing it off of yours. I'm basing it off of mine. We clearly don't have yeah, and abusive I mean, like, relationships. Again, it doesn't even really matter. I'm now doing what Gilberto was doing, and I'm getting really hung up on this thing that, like, <laughs> is so irrelevant because unfortunately Kathleen died that night. Yeah. Anyway, her friends were not buying this shit about Robert's little story or so anything. So more than just Gilberto? Yeah, all okay. of her friends. Like, all of her close girlfriends already know what kind of shitbag Robert is. They're not buying the whole story. So they go to, like, full investigation mode. Like, detective... Internet sleuthing. Well, there wasn't internet, but they would have internet sleuthing. If they were our sleuthing. age, they would be internet sleuthing. So one of the things that they do is sneak into one of the Durst estates, like one of their houses, to yeah. look for clues. I would never. I would be so scared of being murdered. Same. Uh, but they also, like, go through the garbage at the South Salem home where they had been at, where they had the, quote, fight and yeah. whatever, looking for clues. And they didn't really find anything except for Kathleen's mail was all in the garbage. Also, like, tampering with evidence, man. Like, you're just going to make the case harder. Shit, if I go missing, Sabrina, I hope you do something. Something. I would I would do something, but I would make sure that I was like wearing gloves. There was also oh, like well, some yeah, we sort don't know of... that they did or did not do that. Yeah, that's fair. I just feel like what I, I was just gonna say, like, bitch, go through teenagers. my fucking trash. <laughs> like, what the fuck? If you think Matt killed me, let's go. Yeah. He's holding all those arguments in. That's what's really <laughs> happening. He's like gonna snap one day. <laughs> I just what I'm picturing is like us. Like, yeah, no, I know. As teenagers going through For like sure. and we would not have been clever no. about anything no of course not our fingerprints would have been all over it and we would have been in jail for murder for no reason very possible 
Okay, so another thing that was happening that was kind of throwing a kink in this whole investigation for police is that Robert's longtime friend Susan also tried to cloud the investigation. This was the mobster daughter? Mm-hmm. So she had kind of taken on the role of being Robert's spokesperson and released numerous statements that suggested that Kathleen might have run off with another man, even though Robert himself said at the beginning of the investigation she was so close to graduating she would have never left for some other place. Yeah. But whatever. Apparently that story changed too. And now well robert's not saying it the media no, is I, saying it. well it's his friend his bff susan is being like probably ran off with some guy anyway unfortunately with a combination of all of these things together kathleen's case went cold and over time people stopped looking for her no robert would ultimately file from divorce from kathleen eight years after her disappearance claiming spousal abandonment and kathleen's disappearance would not be looked into again until t- the year 2000 oh no not like really looked into obviously yeah. other people would like it was a cool case people would mess around but nothing like significant it was really a truly started. opened back up type thing okay so a couple years after his wife's disappearance in 1984 robert went back to work for his father's company he would find and buy properties all over new york texas and various other places however in 1994 robert's father seymour chose his younger brother douglas to take over the family business and appointed robert as chairman of the board and this only added fuel to the already tumultuous relationship between the brothers so robert walked out of the business and never returned again good for him He cut ties with his family and most of his friends, though the one person that kind of tried to work their way back into Robert's life was his longtime friend, Susan. Hmm, Susan's got... Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about Susan real quick. So over the years, Susan struggled a lot. She married and divorced a screenwriter named Mr. Margulies. Who knows? Not me. And another guy named Paul Kaufman. Her Easy Street memoir that I mentioned she wrote earlier was not a bestseller as she had anticipated. And even though they had been in talks of turning it into a movie that also never happened so she tried her hand at screenwriting herself and had a few successes in the beginning but ultimately never got very far with that either right and she ended up losing her home that she had purchased in brentwood do you know brentwood california Mm -hmm. that's where oj simpson lived and killed his wife oh yeah so like a high dollar house i'm assuming so i did not write this down in my notes because it literally just clicked to me as i was reading this (laughs) but yeah so she ended up renting a small house after she lost that home in a place called benedict canyon where she lived with her three dogs same i would do the same Uh, She had no money and was constantly needing to borrow money from friends. And she received a total of $50,000 from Robert in two separate $25,000 payments. One of those payments arrived in November of 2000. So they were payments, not loans. He never, she never had to pay him back for them. Okay. Maybe because she dies... We'll never know. I'm just kidding. He says not to pay her back, but she does die. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, move on. Okay, I'm really bad at telling this story because I'm too excited and I keep wanting to spoil it all myself. Okay, so one of the payments that she received from Robert arrived to her house on November of 2000. Um, She had sent a letter addressed to Robert to the Durst organization in August of 2000. Okay. They had not really, I want to clear it, like back up and be a little bit more clear. They had kind of like fallen out of touch and the only time that she seemed to really have contacted him was when she needed money. Okay. Okay. That's my understanding. Um, she hasn't heard from him for a while. She's really struggling. She needs more money. So she sends a letter trying to reach him at the organi- like Durst 
family organization. That he's already left at this but he's point. He's already left. Okay. Somehow, someone is able to contact him. I think he has contact still with his sister, Wendy, based on some other stuff that happens later. But yeah, basically, someone lets him know about this letter, and he starts sending her, or that's when he starts the $50,000 payments Okay. in those two increments. Sorry, this timeline is a little confusing, because it's the one part that isn't talked about that much. But yeah. Okay, so in November of the year 2000, rumors start circulating that Kathleen's case was about to be reopened, something that Robert learned from his sister, Wendy, which is why I think he also was able to find out about the letter that Susan sent to the Durst organization, because it seems like the only person he was still in contact with from his family was his little sister, Wendy. Okay. But yeah, so after getting word that they were reopening that case of Kathleen's disappearance, Robert assumed that everyone was going to be looking for him and he took off to Galveston, Texas. That's random. Well, well I guess he was buying properties in Texas mm, as well. Yeah, sure. Well, it's also just random. <laughs> um, on December 11, 2000, Robert remarried a lady named Deborah Lee Charaton in a marriage that was described by Robert's sister, Wendy, as a, quote, marriage of convenience. Not I'm assuming wholly money. On Deborah's part, yes. yes. Deborah is very interested in Robert's money. Oh, wait, so he still has money even yes. though he's left the family business? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, they're not cutting him off, dude. This man oh, okay. still keeps having money. I don't know like, the whole dynamics of like how or why or anything about why he's getting the money. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I should have watched the whole docuseries again. I would have loved to. I did not have the time to watch <laughs> it again before we recorded since we were doing it in a smaller window. Yeah. And I haven't watched it in like three years. Um, you mean you don't remember every single thing? I don't thing remember and every single read thing. five books about Robert Durst? Unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> so Deborah definitely in it for the money. She, I remember, and I, again, I'm bringing up the fact that I didn't watch the docuseries again because I could be wrong about this part. I think she was even still living with a totally different guy. And he let that slide, but... He didn't even live with her. I'm about to talk to you about it in a minute. So she was still living in New York. Kathleen couldn't even ride in a taxi with another guy and... Who knows what's going on. Okay. I don't know the ins and outs of Deborah's relationship with him, her marriage with him, or anything like that. But it's... What you need to know is she wants the Durst money, not Robert necessarily. So he got married to Deborah on December 11th. Jumping back to Susan and what's going on with her because she just received money from Robert from like basically from August to December things just kind of pop off weird. Okay this is all the same year. Mm -hmm. All in 2000. So they're about to reopen the case of Kathleen's disappearance in the November after a mysterious letter from Susan that needed money was sent to the Durst organization. Yes. They receive or Robert receives news that they're going to reopen the case about Kathleen's disappearance, he takes off to Texas. But so he also marries okay. somewhere in that. He also marries Deborah. But this is just a convenient marriage, and it's worth mentioning because I bring up Deborah again, and it was going to be too weird to not mention he was married. Yeah. Okay. So this is like um, I'm thinking the letter threatened him, and he tries paying her off, but the case is still being reopened because Susan's already said something potentially okay so on christmas eve after she's already received the money Mm -hmm. he's already taken off the. she's received the full fifty thousand. i believe that's when she's received she's at least received twenty five thousand dollars so far okay okay one of susan's dogs was seen wandering around outside of her house and a neighbor who saw the dog called the police when the police arrived they found the door unlocked so they went inside and discovered susan's body lying face down on the floor surrounded by blood Mm. and bloody paw prints she had been the dog yeah they weren't dead they just had walked through her thing yeah probably not necessarily that i like necessary for me to include that sorry (laughs) do you okay dramatic effect (laughs) 
I have a very important question because Rupert and I talk about this all the time. Do you think if you were to die in the house by yourself and for whatever reason you were there for a couple of days with just Toph, do you think she would eat you? If she did, it would not be for a while, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. What about... Fucking Suki definitely would eat me. <laughs> I don't poopy. even. Suki piece of dookie would definitely eat me. I am. Whatever. I know Suki would eat me. She wouldn't even wait until I was fully dead, probably. But no, Toph she would be the would... reason that you finally probably. died. Probably. Anyway, whatever. That's why I started with Toph. <laughs> I was going to say, so you're just trying to get everyone mad at me for saying mean things about my dog. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Whatever. Suki dookie piece of poopy. I love that. I love everything about that. <laughs> she answers to it because you just have to like, oh my God. It's so, it's like her one redeeming quality is that she comes when I call her that. Because <laughs> like what she likes is when she's outside and she's not listening to you and she's ignoring you and you're getting frustrated, yelling at her is not going to make her come inside. It's not going to do anything to solve the problem. So you have to talk to her in like a really sweet voice. So because it's Matt's dog, what he does is he says, Oh, Suki, come here, Suki, baby. But because I cannot stand that dog, I'm like, Here, Suki, dookie, you little piece of dookie, poopy. Come on, you little piece of poopy. And she comes in because poopy sounds so close to her actual name. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So if anybody wants to get my dog's attention, just call her Suki Dookie piece of poopy and I she'll come. <laughs> anyway, Matt hates it so much. I think everyone is going to realize that my whole marriage is just about me finding new ways to piss off my husband. <laughs> He's always worried like when I go to therapy or like when I do anything and I'm like talking to my therapist about our relationship yeah. or just anything that he's like, oh, everybody's going to tell you to just divorce me. And I'm like, bro, Aww, no, dude. poor baby. <laughs> I, I was like, not even close. You probably should never talk about how I treat you <laughs> because everybody a hundred percent is going to tell you to divorce me. And now I'm just telling on myself on the podcast. So all these people are going to be like, God, Matt deserves so much better than her. Is that toxic Leo? Oh, I know. <laughs> Alex was right. <laughs> Anyway, she had been. Sh- you came wow, back this was like the from worst, that. This was the worst time to go on a tangent, dude. <laughs> because we're about to talk about Susan's dead body. <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry, Susan. Someone had. You're sh- apologizing to our characters a lot today. A lot today. I have a complex, dude. She was shot in the back of the head, execution style. No. Yeah, that's why I'm saying sorry for our tangent. So there was no sign of struggle or forced entry, and the immediate conclusion. It was totally him because they're best friends. And what are you talking about? They're best friends. Would you shoot me? I don't know. Oh my God. Not today. <laughs> Not the answer I thought I was getting here. <laughs> Okay, cool. If you guys don't hear from me for a while, be worried. It was Sabrina or Matt. Unfortunately, maybe they'll join forces. It was Suki. <laughs> you guys would just come and kill me together with Suki. <laughs> uh, I hate everything. She would poop on you for calling her poopy. No for doubt. So Someone's going to explain to her one day what it means. <laughs> Okay, so police immediately jumps, like, everybody already is like, okay, cool, so Susan definitely knew her killer, as you do when there's no fourth century, usually. Right, and execution style, because you have to trust someone to turn your back on them. Exactly. So there were all kinds of rumors that started off with, like, who would have been her murderer. A lot of people actually thought that it was affiliated with the mob. I mean, that's a fair jump, though. Since she had written a whole memoir about the mob's activities, they were like, oh, it was probably them. And she didn't go into protective custody or anything after telling on them. But not Gilberta. She was definitely sure that Susan had been killed by Robert. And there was also... So do Gilberta and Robert have any contact anymore? I don't... No, no. Sorry, I just almost threw up. (laughs) Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. ASMR. Morning sickness. (laughs) 
and it gets even better because it's afternoon. I know. So yeah, uh, they don't really have contact. Like she does keep tabs on him because she never like lets everything go. Well, I would too solely because I wouldn't want him to just show up at my door and kill me too. Well, yeah, but I mean like she cares a lot about her friend's disappearance and like she tries actively to like try and let it go and move on as obviously decades have like passed since yeah. her murder. But overall, she still can't help herself. Matt, just be aware that I would be 5,000 times worse than Gilberta. So yeah, better think twice about killing me with Suki. Yep. Jerks. <laughs> okay so i'm getting all mad at him and he didn't even do anything he's not even here so when we have he our 40 minute for you I know, I know. stop it you're making it even worse for me don't talk about how nice he is on here everyone's gonna know how much of an asshole i am we hate him i don't i love you i'm just kidding okay no moving on there was also a rumor going around that robert had been in northern california when susan was killed dun 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 so do with that what you will but a few days after susan had been found a letter arrived to the beverly hills police department that was postmarked for december 23rd oh Mm. was it susan i bet it was susan it wasn't susan but the letter did contain susan's address with the word cadaver written inside that's okay And on the front of the envelope, whoever sent the letter misspelled Beverly. And so instead of it being B-E-V-E-R-L-Y, they spelt it as B-E-V-E-R-L-E-Y. Wasn't there someone who had that Beverly as a name too? Not in this. Keep that spelling thing in the back of your... Just tuck it away for later. It seems random. It is very relevant. I promise. Okay, police were actually able to confirm that Robert had been in California while Susan died. When Susan died, sorry. But also, wow. Anyway, okay. (gasps) Elizabeth, calm down. I get too excited. (laughs) So, he had flown from San Francisco to New York the night before Susan's body had been found. That's how they figured out that he had been in California. Okay. So, they found her body on Christmas Eve. The letter that they received in the mail had been sent postmarked on the 23rd of December. Okay. And then they were able to confirm he had been in San Francisco because the day or the night after her body was found, he was on a flight from San Francisco to New York. Okay, so what's happening is he sent the letter to let police know that there was a dead body, right? But he didn't close the door, so all the dogs got out and he was caught later because of the dogs. No. No. I mean... I'm sure he's stupid and he did not shut the door all the way and that's how the dogs got out. But that's no, that's not how he gets caught. You're going to know it when you hear it. Okay. Now we're all caught up, right? Mm -hmm. They figured out he was um, in California. Also. Wait, he flew out of San Francisco? Mm -hmm. And where was she living? Benedict Canyon. You know who's very attractive that you're going to say is not an attractive person? Who? Benedict Cumberbatch. Ew. He looks like a sloth. I love him. I think it's the voice. I don't... He... Oh, he's so attractive to me. Weirdo. So it's five hours and 50 minutes driving from San Francisco to Benedict Canyon. You very well could have driven. Yeah. Or flown or had a private, like, helicopter or something. The whole point is they knew he was there because he left, so they end up questioning him about it. I bet he flew out of San Francisco because it was further away and he would be like, why would I drive five hours? Maybe. The docuseries does go into this part, like the whole thing about this way more because it's a multi like episode documentary solely about him. So I am being like not as in depth as I could be, but you're just grazing the surface. I'm just trying to get all the like basics out of the way. Yeah. We only have an hour and a half. Yeah. We can talk for three hours, but I'm cutting you down to an hour and a half. (laughs) All right. Well, rude, (laughs) but fine. (laughs) 
So the when Los Angeles Police Department questioned Robert about being in California, but they also questioned him about the money he had sent Susan mm-hmm. because he said he did send her. He confirmed that he did send her a $25,000 payment and confirmed that he had been the sender of a fax that Susan received that showed her copy of her 1982 deposition regarding Kathleen's disappearance. Which I'm assuming was private. It's not that it was her deposition was necessarily private. Maybe it was. I don't know enough about depositions, but I'm saying he sent her $25,000 and faxed her a copy of her deposition. And I have to imagine in her deposition, she's saying she doesn't know anything about what happened to Kathleen. Oh. So maybe. This is a reminder to keep your mouth shut. Potentially it could be read that way. But he would not answer any more questions after he confirmed Until those two his things. lawyer was present. He just didn't answer any more questions. <laughs> now we're going to go back to talking about Robert going off to Galveston, Texas. So Galveston, Texas, did you, where did you go in Texas? I have been to, I think, Austin. Gotcha. Well. Oh my gosh, I have a really funny story about that. So I think it was Austin. You know how I ran away, right, mm-hmm. to Texas? Well then, um, a couple- You should clarify, like, when I was a teenager, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. threw a temper tantrum and ran away to Texas and told nobody, including my best friend. Yeah, so that happened. And then it was- <laughs> Like, didn't even send her a message. No hints, no nothing. And so when everyone was yelling at her because she had to know something, she actually didn't and got in a lot of trouble for knowing nothing. in my head, I was like, she doesn't know anything. She can't get in trouble. I'm protecting her. Anyway, go ahead. It was done out of love. Well, it didn't work. I got in a lot of trouble. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Mostly because everybody thought I was a big fat liar who lies and I am not. So continue. Sorry. Anyway, you run away to Texas. Continue. Yes. And then so while I was there, we did like local events and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And then a couple of years ago, my brother Eric had a wedding to go to out there. So we did like a family road trip for like just the weekend. And we ended up going to the exact same location. Oh, wow. And I was able to take because my brother was doing all the wedding stuff. So my mom and Alan and I just did I showed them around. They're like, oh, hey, mom, do you want to see all the places I went when I ran away and stole your car? So I didn't tell my mom that. I told Alan that. And he was like, oh, okay, so what are we going to do then? And I was like, that's fine. God. He didn't even, like, bat an eye at it. Yeah, well, he was like, not that one happened. Yeah. yeah. I think he found it funny. He was like, of course. this." No, is- I mean, obviously, yeah. the- that's so funny. I didn't know you guys went to the exact same spot. Yeah, it was so wild because we like we were doing like um they were doing like a cow rodeo crossing or something. Mm. I don't know that they do it every day at some time. Well, yeah, and it's just Texas things. That's why. <laughs> and so they had like all the Longhorn cows out, and I went. I drove us there, and I was like, "Oh, this street looks really familiar." And we started walking. And I was like, "Oh, because I've been here before." <laughs> Oh, God. So it was really funny to me. All right. Me. Well, much like you as a young teenage girl in forbidden love or whatever the fuck it was, that wasn't even insanity. God, I hate <laughs> it. doesn't matter. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> that was my trauma. You're a great time. Galveston I love is you not so much. Me. I just want to point that I out. Me too. I'm just still salty. I like now that we're talking about it, it's just reminding me about how mad I am at you, actually. <laughs> We're doing that. We'll save it for our next therapy session together. Yeah. Okay. We're cool. gonna need one at some point on doing this podcast together. <laughs> Probably you're just gonna resurface all the things that I mad at you for when we were like 14. We started off talking about dead dad. <laughs> That's not the on the last episode. We yeah, started yeah. off everything with talking about dead dad, which is really just a couple hours ago for <laughs> us. 
<laughs> and now I'm having to relive the I'm, worst part of our friendship. Where you I know, felt... all of this stuff would have been avoided if you just weren't my friend. Oh my God, don't say that. I still want to be your friend. <laughs> it's fine. I just have beef with Texas and I'm sad about your dad dying because I loved him so much. He's really our dad. Oh my God, I know. I, I feel like it's probably confusing that people might think my dad is dead. My actual dad is not dead. I just don't know anything about him anymore. But Sabrina's dad is my dad at heart and I was very close with him also. Yes. So. He is a pretty cool guy. Just to clear some Rihanna. things up, my dad is probably still alive somewhere. We're just not going to I feel like we him. would know. It's like if... Baltimore. We just don't talk about <laughs> you must not be named. He is alive. Whatever. Moving on. So, Galveston is not near Austin. It's near Houston. Okay. It's on the southeastern coast of Texas. And Isn't all of Texas southeastern I don't know. Coast? Just shut up and let me talk like I know just something. <laughs> okay. okay. I don't want to know anything more about Texas. Robert, he went to Texas to try and avoid investigators, which is something I mentioned earlier. You flee a different to a different country. You don't just go. He went to, to Texas, state. okay? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. You also thought going to Texas was a good idea. <laughs> now shut up. <laughs> Anyway, he disguised himself as a mute woman named Dorothy Siner. And I will take what? no more questions. This <laughs> is like the best part of the whole. Okay, this is where everything starts getting to be my favorite. It's not because somebody else dies. I'm sorry I keep saying favorite. It's just this is so crazy to me. You can only have one favorite thing, Elizabeth. I'm sorry. No, I can't. And everyone knows that. <laughs> All right. Beginning in the late or in late 2000, which is like where we've been the whole time. So I don't know why I even said that. Because they've already forgotten with all of my talking. Yeah, that's also true. So we're in late 2000. Disguised as Dorothy, Robert moved in <laughs> at 2213 Avenue K in Galveston, which was a house that had been divided into four separate apartments that rented for $300 a month. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Right. That's, That's a lifestyle life. change. <laughs> the landlord of the home was named Klaus Dillman, and he claimed to have very rarely seen Dorothy. He said he'd maybe seen her four times and stated that she was very quiet and almost always traveling. When Dorothy, aka Robert in disguise, comes to the rent the or sorry, came to rent the apartment, she wrote that she couldn't talk on a piece of paper and that all the communication was done in writing between them. Probably because he didn't want didn't know how to disguise his deep manly voice. It's not even like manly, it's just weird. Just I beg you, even if you don't want to watch the whole docuseries, that's fine. Just look up a clip on YouTube of Robert Durst talking. Because <laughs> fucking his voice. I can't even fake it and I want to so bad, but I just know I will butcher it. It's I don't know. It just makes the whole thing even better. Is it that bad? It's not bad. It's just weird to me. Okay. It just sounds weird. And his inflections on like certain words, it's weird to me. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so landlord gloss noticed that she had a flat chest and a really bad wig. <laughs> but she always paid with an unsigned money order and would occasionally. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I said it like that. Speaking of weird inflection. Okay, sorry. So she had like a really bad wig and flat chest, but she always paid with an unsigned money order. And occasionally she would even have a friend who stayed with her. So that's sweet. Oh, how cute. Was yeah. her name Susan? Uh, no, his name, it was a he. Oh. He met the, uh, her, the landlord met the friend a few times and he was a really nice guy named Robert Durst. <laughs> okay so anyway there were plenty of times that people saw dorothy come home and her friend robert leave the apartment only a few minutes later but dorothy's friend robert was totally harmless he was just a shy and polite guy who avoided eye contact when he was out smoking on the balcony so you couldn't see his face no big deal 
He was sweet. Occasionally, occasionally, okay. Sometimes he would yell at the kids to keep their voices down or complain about the dogs barking in the neighborhood. And he would kind of do this weird thing where he would bark back at the dogs. Oh, like the primal screaming stuff. (laughs) But like overall, good guy. Overall, quiet nature. Okay, and this is not a big deal. And it's not even really that weird. But no one ever seemed to see Dorothy and Robert at the same time. Oh, no. Yeah. It's because she was showering anytime he was around. Something. But it's fine. To be fair, the tenants in those apartments were way more concerned with hating their neighbor, Morris Black. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Morris Black was a 71-year-old tenant at the apartments who was described as being lonely and cranky, which is how people will describe me. (laughs) He, his favorite... Oh, God. <laughs> I just keep thinking that this is how people are probably going to talk about me. When I... Okay. His favorite pastimes included whining that he was about to die, being in everyone's business, and sleeping in his kitchen. So he's like just a normal old little man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no one really liked him. Oh, I feel like I would be his best friend because I that feel bad for him. That stops saying that about everybody. You would want to, like, feel bad about him and then also be like, Morris is really annoying. But I bet he had that tea, dude. What I bet he tea? knew everything. Oh, I thought you meant, like, real tea. I was like, no. is there a specific ketchup. Texas tea? Stop. Ketchup. I, no, ketchup. What the fuck? What? what is happening? We've been talking for way too long. <laughs> Whatever. I'm saying nothing more to you. That's fair. Enjoy the podcast in silence. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm really excited to talk about this. I was going to say this is going to last maybe 0.10 seconds. Okay, whatever. We have a job to do and it's talking. We're good at it. So I'm not good at the listening part. Will you shut up? <laughs> His lease was about to end in September of 2001. And so because no one liked him, the landlord told him he had to move when his lease was up. Oh, poor guy. It is a poor guy, unfortunately. Anyway, Dorothy must have somehow heard that Morris was being evicted because on September 28th, her BFF, Robert Durst, went to the landlord, Kloss, and asked him if a friend of Mrs. Sider's could rent Black's apartment. And this was something that Claus, the landlord, found a little bit strange, considering that Morris was still living in his apartment. Yeah. On September 30th, 2001. Wait, does Morris die? Does Morris die? Okay, just tell me. Do you think Morris dies? I think Morris dies, so yeah. he could get moved in quicker. On September 30th, 2001, a man named David Avina. This, oh, and I also want to clarify, I don't know if I said the year. We're, this is all happening in 2001. Okay. Like in late 2000, Dorothy moves in. In 2000, September of 2001 is when Morris Black is like being told he has okay. to leave. So at the end of the month, his lease yeah. is up. He can't renew his lease. October, he has to find a new place to live because nobody likes him. Okay. On September 30th of 2001, a man named David Avina, his eight-year-old daughter Elise, and his 13-year-old son James were out fishing on a local rocky beach when James pointed out that he was pretty sure that he saw a body. The little kid did? Mm, The 13-year-old boy, yeah. It's a little kid. Initially, David thought that James was just trying to scare his sister, which same, I would also (laughs) think that. But when David went over to look in the shallow water where James had pointed, there was, in fact, a body. Oh, no. Floating in the water was a naked torso with no head or limbs, and it was just floating there. When police arrived to the scene, they found a number of trash bags floating offshore. The bags contained two severed arms and two severed legs. No. There were also Metamucil packets. What? A receipt dated September 28th for Chalmers Hardware. Plastic cups, paper towels, the October 1st edition of USA Today, 
and the cover for a green thumb bow saw. What? Now, I think it will shock everyone to learn that the paper that they re- like retrieved out of those garbage bags with the body parts were the front page sections of the paper that was delivered to where Dorothy, aka Robert, lived at 2213 Avenue K. Oh my gosh. So obviously. They literally couldn't just wait a day to move in. Well, it's pressing urgent matter. So mind your business. Because he doesn't already have an apartment, but whatever. <laughs> the Galveston police went straight to the address at the house where the apartments were. Yeah. The trash cans would like go in the alleyway. Like everybody's trash can was in the alleyway. Obviously, when they're in that alley, they become public. Yeah. So the police started searching those trash cans. In so you the- don't need a search warrant if they're out in the alley. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the trash cans, they found a Metamucil box, <laughs> plastic cups, paper towels, and packaging for a drop cloth. Most of these things were purchased at the Chalmers Hardware, where there was a receipt in the garbage bags of where course. the body parts were. This is like the worst criminal ever. The police also found a four-inch paring knife, a spent 22 caliber shell casing, a pair of men's briefs, a bloody sock, an eviction notice reading Morris Black's name, and an eye exam receipt made out to Robert Durst. <laughs> they literally just had a day. They, he was moving out. You don't need the apartment that quickly. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this poor guy literally died for so no reason. So I don't reason. know. Like, okay. So also I, in the, in the docuseries, they do talk about how more, okay, let me back up in the movie. Also, they talk about how Morris Black is like the old man who I don't, I always they hate like spoiling. too much about No, everyone. it's not that. It's just like, okay. So Morris Black and Robert Durst actually did become friends. Okay. And like hanging out or whatever. According to Robert, Morris was like thinking that he was going to be able to live with Robert after his lease ended and that they were going to be like, he found out he had money, something along those lines. Yeah. So it's not so much about the apartment and like having it, but like the Robert already knew Morris was either dead or going to die when he approached about the apartment. Yeah. Okay. So it was just funky that like, he's asking about it when Morris was still living there and the landlord is like, "Mm, that's weird. Yeah. But no, he was being killed for other reasons. And in the movie, it's because he's the one that kills Susan. I don't know that that's inherently like the case. I think it was just that they were friends. Somehow Morris either found out who Robert was yeah. or had some kind of expectation that Robert wasn't going to meet and so Robert killed him. Gotcha. I mean, we don't know who killed him. <laughs> it was Robert, obviously. <laughs> so, on October 3rd, 2001, police executed a search warrant for Morris's apartment and they found blood in the kitchen sink, bathroom shower, and on the carpet. They also found blood going between Morris's apartment and the unit across the hall, where Dorothy lived. <laughs> and sometimes her friend Robert Durst visited. So police searched that apartment as well. I'm assuming they all had warrants for everything I did on. Yeah. Whatever. But anyway, they go into Robert's, I mean, Dorothy's apartment <laughs> and barely any furniture was in there and there was no telephone but don't worry as well as more trash bags a drop cloth bloody boots and a four inch paring knife was there more another box of mucinex no he used it all it seems like (laughs) there was also a cut in the kitchen in the kitchen's flooring and blood that had seeped through the wood beneath that flooring oh but dorothy wasn't trying to clean up or cover anything well we won't know because dorothy wasn't home Typical Dorothy. <laughs> so the police continued looking through the garbage and found a 22 caliber pistol and two clips of ammunition. While interviewing some of the other tenants and the neighbors, police learned that people witnessed Robert loading bags into a silver car. Mm-hmm. 
When the police looked up a vehicle identification number that belonged to Robert Durst, they discovered that he was the owner of a silver Honda SRV. He couldn't even put it in Dorothy's name. (laughs) On October 9th, police spotted the Honda driving through Galveston and pulled Robert over. Robert had been staying at the nearby Holiday Inn Express under the alias Jim Truss. Oh, and there was a bow saw in the car, but that's random, right? A what? A bow saw in the car. Random. Yeah, because that wasn't found at the lake or anything. (laughs) Just whatever people keep on bow saws in their car. It's fine. No big deal. Don't worry about it. So Robert was arrested. Minor details. Robert was arrested and police discovered that he had homes in Dallas, New York, Connecticut, and Northern California. Mm. The names that Robert had been using. Was Susan living in one his house in Northern California? Mm -mm. Okay. Um... So his aliases that he had gone by, Dorothy Siner and Jim Truss, had been the names of some of his classmates that he had gone to school with. But Robert Durst had no criminal record otherwise. Mm. So a grand jury indicted Robert on the charge of murder. However, because there was no other crime that occurred with the murder, nor had it been capital murder, which means that there was not any exceptional circumstances to the murder. Mm -hmm. Sorry, he was able to qualify for bond because in Texas, you can only receive bond if you are not, if you did not commit a capital offense. So the bond was set at $250,000 with the assumption that this would be considered a quote, high bond that people would not normally be able to pay. But Except Robert for Robert Durst. was easily able to make that bail. Yeah. He called his wife, Deborah, to wire him the $250,000 bail. Okay, in the documentary, they talk about this, where it's like, they arrest him, they put him in jail, they think that they've set this high bond that he's going to stay, but then he just finds out what his bond on is, and he was like, well, how do I, like, what do I have to do? And they were like, well, do you have $250,000? And he said, well, not on me. <laughs> just like, damn. Anyway, so his wife sends him the bail money. She visits him in jail some, and they spoke regularly on the phone to discuss his legal strategy and other personal business. Wait, I thought if he paid the bond, he would have gotten out of jail. No, I'm saying, like, over the course of time. So, obviously, he does go back to jail eventually. But, like, over the course... Sorry. I should have been more clear. He's talking to his wife while he is there. And then any other time he has spent in jail, he does stay in touch with his wife. Okay. She's with him the whole time, supporting him throughout this whole process. Yeah, because if he goes to jail and stays in jail, the money's all hers and he can't stop her. Yeah, but it's also really, really important that he get his share of the family business still and the family fortune. So it's really important to Deborah to uh. have a hand in how this all plays out. Oh, yeah. Master manipulator. Mm. So Robert was set, after he bailed out, he was set to return to court for a hearing on October 16th, but he never showed up and a warrant was set for his arrest. <laughs> now, also did not include this in my notes, but I think I remember this from the documentary as well or hearing something about it. But basically, someone said somewhere, and I think it was in the documentary, that Robert said that he just didn't realize he had to come back. That he thought he just paid it and it was done. Oh. Like that it just cost him $250,000 to murder that guy, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, he just never showed up because he thought, okay, cool, paid the money, now I'm done. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know how true that is. Like, I don't know if that's really what he thought, but I recall hearing that. Him being like, okay, that's weird. He's like, I've never been more inconvenienced in my yeah, entire like, life. Yeah, like, oh my God, okay, wow, that was an expensive one. The other one only cost me $25,000. <laughs> just kidding, that's so fucked. But, okay, so, warrant is put out for his arrest because he doesn't show. On December 1st of that year, or after he misses his hearing, on December 1st, they put out a segment on Robert that runs on America's Most Wanted. Mm -hmm. The day before this segment runs on December 1st, a security 
team at Wegmans Grocery Store in Hanover Township, Pennsylvania. I love Wegmans. Oh, me too. Uh, so the security team sees a guy who has shaved his head and eyebrows. <laughs> what? <laughs> Take a Band-Aid out of a box and place it under his nose on a cut that they also assume to have come from him shaving his face. Yeah. And the security guys stop him on his way out of the store and discover he had also stolen a newspaper and a $5.49 chicken sandwich, chicken salad sandwich. He was also carrying $500. Oh. And in his trunk, they discovered a 38 caliber handgun, weed, and $37,000. I was going to say just for a Band-Aid, let the guy go. It was for a sandwich and a newspaper and a Band-Aid. Uh-huh. Anyway, that was Robert. <laughs> Hello, Robert. Welcome back. And admitted to being Robert Durst. And he had been staying uh, near the campus of his previous college, Lehigh University, going under the alias Emilio Viganoni for some reason. All right. (laughs) Plenty of locals had seen him out and about wearing a brown wig and a white mustache, which... Come on. (laughs) Was it a band-aid? Robert, you can't do a brown wig and a white mustache. That's too much. One or the other. You can't be that defining if you're trying to hide. So yeah, not only did he have that weird combination, but he was also talking to himself a lot. Wait, wasn't there um, a possibility of him having early schizophrenia? Okay. Yes. So he was taken to Northampton County Prison, where he was placed under suicide watch in order to have a psychiatric evaluation. Texas prosecutors filed an extradition request, and Robert was eventually brought back to Texas. So he's back in jail in Texas now. Okay. This all was going down in 2001. In 2003 is when Robert is finally tried for the murder of Morris Black. Okay. I'm going to go... That took forever to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's always a slow process, it feels like. Yeah. All right, I know I'm speeding through this. There's just so much information I'm trying to get into this one hour and a half limit i have by sabrina <laughs> so it's really for our audience i am just gonna keep going at this pace for a little bit longer sorry but basically robert was convinced by his wife to fire his original attorney that he had had before because that attorney was hired by his brother and like i said earlier she really cares about making sure he has his fortune and she thinks that the lawyer is trying to get him to plead insanity which is kind of the track they were going yeah. and so that there would be a argument made on the brother's half to say that he didn't deserve to have the family fortune right. and like disown him or whatever so they instead hired a new attorney named dick durgan 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 <laughs> yes dick durgan Got that's it. what his name is i'm cutting everything else before that <laughs> No one will ever know except for that I keep talking about it. So Robert discussed that Morris had been cranky and confrontational and suggested... Oh, sorry. Robert testifies, I believe, in his own defense. Yeah. And he says that Morris was being really cranky and confrontational and that Morris had tried to grab his twenty-two caliber pistol and threaten him with it. And while they were struggling for the gun, the gun went off and shot him in the face. Robert admitted that he... Just call the cops, bro. Don't chop him up. Well, Robert admitted that he used the paring knife, two saws, and an axe to dismember Morris and dump him in the Galveston Bay. Okay. In the documentary, I know I keep saying... Listen, he, like, basically says that, like, he didn't think it was going to look good or something like that, and that's why he did it. But obviously, this looks worse. Yeah. So... The evidence against Robert was pretty circumstantial, and due to the lack of forensic evidence to dispute Robert's story, he was acquitted on the murder of Morris Black on November 11th, 2003. On the basis of self-defense, or... Basically. 
He, but he was acquitted for the whole thing. So yeah. they charged him with murder, even though he claimed it was self-defense. And a jury bought that and they believed him mm. and his weird story. So they let him go. He did plead guilty to bail jumping and evidence tampering, which was the dismemberment of the body. So he yeah. was charged with something and he had a, that was part of a plea bargain he made and he received five years. Okay. He was given credit for time served and only had to serve three years total in prison. Mm. Robert was paroled on July 15, 2005. He was required to stay near home, but he could get permission to travel if he requested it. Which home was he required well, to stay Well, I'm by? thinking that he stayed in Texas because of this next part. Okay. So on December of 2005, Robert took an unauthorized trip to the house where Morris had been killed and a shopping mall where he actually ended up running into his trial judge that presided over his trial <laughs> Because he was determined to have violated the terms of his parole, he was placed back in prison and not released until March 1st of 2006. Okay. Of all the people to run into. <laughs> right? Like, his luck, not so great. Yeah. So, technically, this is where the movie ends. Where they, you know, he goes to jail, he gets out, whatever. Yeah. But we're not going to stop here because there is actually something more that we need to talk about. And this is the docuseries that he films with Jarecki. Elizabeth having something to talk about? Never. Stop. I will not stand for this. <laughs> During the production of the docuseries, a letter was... Un- oh my god, I'm so excited. I have to focus. Chill okay. out, man. I'm so stoked. It's my favorite part. Okay, so he goes on to film this, film this docuseries I mentioned at the top. Yes. And multiple times throughout. Cannot recommend watching it enough. But anyway, okay. So during the production of the docuseries, a letter was uncovered by Susan's stepson at her house that had been written by Robert in 1999. Oh no. Okay, remember how I told you earlier regarding Susan's death that the letter that the LAPD received was addressed to the Beverly Hills address yeah. with Beverly spelled wrong. Yeah. The letter that Susan's stepson found contained the same misspelling as the anonymous letter telling police about Susan's body. He spelled Beverly wrong. Oh. Okay. Crazy. Yes. Caught. Yes. <sighs> Listen. Get so much. It gets so much better. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so when Jiraki, Jiraki, wow. Jarecki and the producers realized that this must have been, or this, this, I'm got to slow down. When Jarecki and the producers realized that this may be potential, potential criminal evidence, they sent the letter to the LA County District's attorney office, which led to Robert's eventual arrest for Susan's letter, or murder, Susan's murder, not letter. <laughs> Stop. Okay. It gets even better. It gets even better. Okay. Please tell me. I will. Take a breath. I'm sorry. Okay. So. In the Jinx, the docuseries, they confront Robert with the letter. Oh, on the docuseries? Yes, on the actual docuseries. The very last episode, guys, just watch this one episode. So they confront Robert with the letter and, like, the one that her stepson found and a copy of the one that was mailed to the police. Yeah. They show it to him to confront. Well, first they show him the one that the stepson found. And they were like, is this your, like, is this yours? Did you send this? Is this your handwriting? And he said, yes. And then they show him the one that was sent to the police department. And they were like, is this your handwriting? Because you see, and they point out how the similarities and the misspelling is the same. And basically like, ha ha, got your ass. Look at this. So he excuses himself to go to the bathroom. And he has the hottest hot mic moment of all time. And I love a hot mic. Oh my God. I love a hot (laughs) mic so much. Okay, so yeah, basically he goes into the bathroom and he's just like talking to himself. And this he says, there it is. You're caught. You're right, of course. But you can't imagine. Arrest him. 
I don't know what what's in the house. Oh, I want this. What a disaster. He was Coffee. right. I was wrong. And the burping. Because <laughs> he keeps burping the whole time when he's... Not... Okay. And I'm having difficulty with the question. What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. <laughs> so basically, uh, he just admits on tape to, like, killing everyone. Yeah. Uh, later on in 2019, it's found out that the series altered the way that he said those statements. Yeah. So what he... So what actually happens is there's, like, some unintelligible speech, at, like, speak at the beginning. Then he says, I don't know what you expected to get. I don't know what's in the house. Oh, I want this. Killed them all, of course. Then some more speaking that they can't tell what it is. And then it says, I want to do something new. There's nothing new about that. Then something inaudible. He was right. I was wrong. The burping. I'm having difficulty with the question. What the hell did I do? <laughs> Still fucking crazy. So I don't know yeah. why they swapped it around. But anyway, so... Well, because one was an omission and one was not. Fair. So, uh, I love that. It's worth watching the whole thing just for that end scene. <laughs> I, oh God, I would also tell myself on a hot mic. Yeah, I think I like hot mics so much because I know for an absolute fact that that is me and I am that. I will always accidentally say something inappropriate on a microphone. So before we start doing live shows, make sure you have not committed <laughs> any crimes. Well, and just save in general, I'm going to say stupid things the all shows. the time. Uh, I just think about how stupid the things are that I say on this microphone that we're fortunate <laughs> enough to cut. <laughs> Basically, the trial for Susan Berman's murder is also pretty wild. The defense is really good and they like Robert's defense is really good. So they like delay the trial over and over again. I'm not going to talk about this part too much. We already know what happened, how she died. Yeah. Most of the delays are due to medical issues with Robert and of course COVID. Mm -hmm. So in the end, Robert was convicted on September 17th, 2021 for the first degree murder of Susan Berman. And he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So was he tried in California or... No, he was tried in California because okay. he murdered her there. Okay. His legal team, of course, filed appeals, but Robert died of cardiac arrest on January 10th, 2022 at the age of 78. Kathleen's family has filed multiple wrongful death suits against the Durst family, and I'm not sure that they've gotten anything out of those suits so far because their most recent one was only filed in January 2022. And Kathleen was the first wife, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the story of Robert Durst. I like that story a lot. Yeah. Um, the Watching the actual documentary will do so much better than me telling and regurgitating everything that I remember from it. <laughs> I obviously have a whole bunch of sources, sources, God, I cannot talk, sources in my show notes, but yeah, nothing beats watching that whole thing and seeing it happen live and with this weirdo voice. Anyway, <laughs> I am so glad I did this movie. It's my not favorite movie, but just my favorite story to tell. Yeah. Oh, I actually really like the movie too, so. Yeah, well, I'm glad you like it. Anyway, are you so excited and so happy that I told you the story? I am. Probably not as excited as me, considering that I tripped over, like, every sentence in the last two paragraphs. What I'm really excited about is getting another Sour Patch Kid. Oh, fair enough. Well, <laughs> I guess we will go ahead and wrap things up. So, if you enjoyed our episode and would like to hear more from us, we post every week. But also, please feel free to follow us on social media. We're at the Based On Podcast everywhere. And, and tell your friends about us. We're going to learn about social media and maybe get better at social media. So there's actually stuff for you to look at. And at a bare minimum, we will make these empty promises on every episode. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.